If you, uh, if you were here with us last week, you know we started the book of 1 Peter, and we did a bit of an introductory week last week, and we are going to continue in chapter 1 this morning. And uh, I want to start this morning, though, by asking you to do something with me. I want you to think back and remember your salvation experience. So, Children's Church. Yes, thank you, Pastor Darrell, as I get started. Uh, Mr. Phil, Miss Lori are headed to Children's Church. So any, uh, any kids up until around 12, I think, whenever they say, uh, they'll take them for, for Children's Church now. So thank you for that reminder. Uh, for those of you not going to Children's Church, think of your, your salvation experience. And we might be talking about a few weeks or months ago. We could be talking about, I don't know, 50 or 60 years ago, maybe for some. Uh, but uh, I want you just to think of the circumstances around it. Maybe you woke up one day not even knowing that, that there was a Jesus, and by the end of the day, you went to bed and you were a new Christian. Or maybe it was more of a, for you, more of a gradual process of, of understanding more and more about the Bible and that you were a sinner in need of a Savior. But at some point, uh, I think a lot of us had an experience where we realized that we were sinners in need of a Savior. For me, it was at a young age. Um, we were, my parents took us to church all the time. And at some point, there was the, the pastor. It could have been Sunday school. I really don't remember. But I, rem- I know there was a message of the fact that uh, we all deserve God's wrath. And that if for those who have not believed that Jesus died on the cross for their sins they would go to hell. But if you were to believe, then you would go to heaven. And this seemed like a a no-brainer for a seven-year-old. Who would want uh, eternity of pain and suffering? Uh, Because I certainly understood even at seven years old that that's what I deserved. And so that night with with my dad in my bedroom, I accepted the Lord as, as my Savior. And so many of you I know have, have, uh, have done that, and you can think back to a time uh, when you did that. And I want you to think about that as we work through this passage this morning, because we're talking about the blessings of our salvation. This is the true grace of God in our life, that he would send his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. So before we get to that blessing, though, we want to frame it so we really understand uh, just how significant our salvation is. So you, you were there, or John 3.36 is where we're going to go. Um, it says this, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Praise the Lord. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. All right, so the scripture is clear, especially in this verse. I don't know where it's more clear. Those who believe will have eternal life. Those who do not believe, the wrath of God is on them. That's where we talk about the, those who don't believe, the, the, they will spend eternity in hell apart from God. Uh, John, excuse me, Romans 1 verses 18 says this, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Now to be clear, that means each one of us, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have all gone our own way, and this means that the wrath of God God is on us except for those who have believed. And I said we want to talk about the blessings of our salvation. We are going to talk about that this morning. But first, uh, John 5.24, getting better here, more encouraging. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. 
This is Jesus speaking. So if you hear my word and believe in God who sent me has eternal life, he does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life, passed from the wrath of God to eternal life. So this is, this is good news. These are uh, verses that um, explain the gospel. I had, sorry, I had one more, Ephesians 2, 4, and 5. I jumped over this one, but they're on top of it up there. But God, being rich in mercy, we looked at this verse last week, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, this is when the wrath of God was on us, we were apart from God in our sin, he made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. So the the scriptures are clear about that for those who have sinned, which is everyone, the wrath of God is on them, unless they have believed in the Son. That's the good news of the gospel. And so as we, as we think about the, the, this idea of the wrath of God, then the blessing of our salvation becomes even more special and precious. And that's what we want to look at this morning, um, in, starting in verse 3 of 1 Peter, this, this movement for those who of us who have moved from death to life. Uh, we can say this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Last night, or last week, sorry, we talked about this idea of grace, this undeserved favor that God shows to us. And in a nutshell, that would be our salvation through Jesus Christ. Here, it says that according to his great mercy, we have been born again. So grace is getting from God what we don't deserve. Mercy is God withholding from us what we do deserve. So the wrath of God is what we deserve. That has been withheld from us because of God's mercy for those who believe. So according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again into a living hope. So I, we, this is, we, we're all familiar with this word, born again. I've been born again. Have you been born again? It's a word that, a phrase that gets used a lot. Here it is in this passage. And when I think about uh, new life, um, we have a lot, we've had a, a lot of new life in this service over the last year. And who's that speaking to me right now? Hold him up there, Bo. We have Asher. He's talking right now. He's giving his own little sermon back there. Uh, I know Carson, he, he left a few minutes ago. We see Gracie running around in this service. Um, Hannah's got Bo at the back there. Um, the Wheeler girls are back there. They've got a new baby. Emma, I, I don't, has Emma been here yet, girls? Not on a Sunday morning, has she? No, new, new baby there for the Wheeler family. And you know what you do when you get the new baby, right? You're just in awe and wonder. They're just, they're so tiny. You don't, you don't need two hands. You just hold it with one hand. And then this, I like to just take the baby and smell the top of the baby's head, right? Who's done that, right? Now, if this baby's two weeks old, it's too late. You missed it, right? That newborn smell is gone. But like there's, there's an awe and wonder with new life, it's a, it's a miracle. We say it's a miracle of life when a baby is born. And we, we praise God. I know these families that we mentioned. I hope I did. Did I miss anybody? I'm not leaving anybody out, am I? Oh, Zach and Abby, right here. Got, got a, new, a new baby coming in the new year. So exciting, right? The awe and the wonder of the miracle of life. 
how much more precious is the birth of a soul, the new birth of a soul who gives their heart to Jesus Christ, who has been saved from, from death and brought into life. And it really is a new birth. And in 2 Corinthians 5.17, we read, if anyone is a new, if, excuse me, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and behold, the new has come. And when we read this verse, it's not saying that, Richard, you're new and improved. We've just done some upgrades here on Richard. He just got saved and uh, he's been upgraded. There's a new and improved Richard. No, when we are saved, we are a new creation. The old is gone and the new is come. And uh, it, is, it is an exciting time when someone comes to faith in, in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we are born again, it is into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, verse 3 says. So in the same way that we believe that when Jesus died, he didn't stay in the tomb, but he went to be with the Father. That's Because Jesus went to be with the Father, that's our hope that we one day will go to be with him. If Jesus stayed in the tomb, what hope would we have that we would go to heaven? But he didn't stay in the tomb, and so we have this hope that we will go to heaven one day as well. And when we talk about hope here, in the, particularly in the New Testament, but Old Testament as well, we're not talking about, well, hopefully it'll be a nice day today and we can go for a ride and look at the leaves, right? And hopefully we'll get some good color when we get up there on Richard Russell and we'll get a, some nice views because it won't be too cloudy. Like, that's not the hope that the Bible is talking about. When we read of hope in the, in the particularly the New Testament, we're talking about a confident expectation that what has been promised will come to pass. And what, so what, are we, what, what do we have a hope in? Verse 4 tells us, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. And uh, I want to talk about this word inheritance for, for a minute because the Bible uses this word multiple times and it helps us to understand that when we talk about our inheritance or our hope of going to heaven, that it's a sure thing. And it's not just kind of a, well, maybe it'll happen. I hope it happens. But it certainly is a confident expectation. So let me ask you, who gets an inheritance? The children, right? Typically, that's it's not the way that it always goes. Hopefully, uh, Nate, court, maybe. <laughs> you can hope, like just kind of hope. All right, not a biblical hope, but hope, all right, that we'll have something for court one day. Uh, but typically, parents give their inheritance to their children. And so good news for us, Romans 8, that uh, Paul tells us that we are God's children. It says, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Well, that's good. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. It says that we are God's children and that we, according to First Peter, that, we, that he has an inheritance for us, one that is incorruptible, it won't spoil, it won't fade. So good news for us that God considers us his children. He says that he has an inheritance for us. Now, when you give your inheritance to your children, I've already given it away when you give the inheritance, you, are you, is this a contract we're talking about? Like, if you do this, then we will give you you know, the house, and we'll give you the car. Is that how we write our, our wills, typically? No, it is a gift, right? And why do we gift to our children? We love them, right? We want them to have every advantage in life that we can. 
And we, talk, we looked at last week, we'll look at it again in a little bit. Ephesians 2 verse 9 says that our salvation is a free gift from God. And so our inheritance is, is ours because we're his children. He is giving it to us freely. It's not something that we have to earn. But also, when we, when we give an inheritance, how do we make sure that what we want happens after we are dead? Somebody said it. We write a will, right? Like we write it down. And the, the will guarantees that our wishes, the court system will guarantee that our wishes are carried out if we put it down in a will. Similarly, different but similarly, Ephesians 1 tells us this. In him, you also, when you heard the truth, so in him being the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, excuse me, Jesus, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So we don't have this inheritance that's being spoken of, but we have the Holy Spirit within us, and this is the guarantee that we will get what has been promised to us. So here in 1 Peter, when it says, we have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, this inheritance is ours because we're God's children. It's a free gift to us. And we have the Holy Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee that it is ours to come. Now, more good news. To me, that's good news. More good news here. This inheritance is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. All right, we're not getting the old farmhouse that was built back in the 50s, right? We are getting a brand new home. Jesus says that he has gone to prepare a place for us, and if he's going to prepare a place, he will come again to take us to be with him. So we, he is, we're not getting some rundown farmhouse. We're not getting court, whatever's left of the savings. Just, just there was something there. Maybe we, we have this promise that is imperishable, undefiled. We don't know life that's not a, a life that's undefiled. Like there, there is sin in each one of us, in each one of our relationships. There are, there are bumps in the road. There is inconsistencies. We don't love with a perfect love. Unfading. We had uh, uh, Rick Urban, a painter here this morning, first service. And this guy was employed because paint fades, right? Like what things here on earth are breaking down. Things here on earth are defiled. Things here on earth are wearing out. But this inheritance promised us in heaven is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Kept in heaven for, for you. Kept in heaven for me. That's, that's how it's been able to do that, because it's not an earthly thing, it is a heavenly thing. And this is what we have to look forward to as children of God. It keeps getting better, though. Kept in heaven for us, verse 5 says, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time, in the last time. This idea of being guarded is a Greek word that would have been used to describe soldiers guarding a city or soldiers guarding a garrison. And this verse is saying that through our faith, we came to salvation by faith, and our faith is what keeps us and guarantees this position in heaven. God is, through God's power, he's guarding our spot in heaven for us. So these are all things that we can take confidence in, that we can 
um, rest in as believers, as children of God. But it's not our experience yet. It will be revealed in the last time. And that's why we have this hope, which is our confident expectation that these things will come to pass. So these, these three verses here, I love these verses because it gives us this full picture of salvation. We were saved, yes, from God's wrath. Yes, we have a future in heaven waiting for us. Uh, but it is a living hope. It's a hope that's alive. And we are a new creation now. We have the promise of heaven, but we are new creation now. This living hope is within us today. And uh, so it, it raises a question that uh, I heard this week, we had a, a speaker two years ago at CLBC for Teen Week, uh, Charlie Marquis. Some of you guys remember him being there as a speaker. And I was listening to a podcast this week, and he was on it. And he asked this question. If God really loved us, why didn't he take us straight to heaven when he saved us? All right, so the thinking behind that question is, we've, already, we've just compared heaven and earth. Heaven being incorruptible, undefiled, unfading. And here on earth, things are breaking down. Things are um, wearing out. We have uh, arguments. We, there is sin that we deal with. We deal with bodies that you know, work less and less better as we get older. All these things. If God really loved us, why are we still here? Kind of pushing through, suffering through some of the things. Why, why wouldn't he just take us and put us in heaven to start as soon as we were saved? Well, there's two passages and, that we're going to look at. And both of these passages, they describe our salvation, but they also describe why we're still here. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 is the first one. We looked at this last week. For by grace you have been saved because of God's undeserved favor in our life. We've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works, not of the good things that we did. No one has the right to boast about it. All right, verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. So this new creation that we have in Christ is for us to do good works. Not just anything though, God, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So this verse is teaching us that as a new creation in Christ, God has things that he wants us to be doing. That's why we're still here. Because God has things that he wants you to be doing. He has things that he wants me to be doing. Uh, this next passage gets even more specific. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 18. We already looked at this one. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This is the one we memorize, right? Look at verse 18. All this is from God. This, this, you are a new creation. That's from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. God reconciled us to himself. God put us back into good standing with himself through Jesus Christ so that we could have that ministry to other people. This is like... Like, we're the sinful, corrupted, defiled, fading away, breaking down, sinful people. And God says, I'm not taking, yes, you're, you're saved, but I'm not taking you home yet because I have something for you to do. I want you, I'm going to use you to bring other people to me. That's why we're still here. So, who is it for you? 
Like if, this, if, if we're going to read God's word this morning and, and say, yes, we believe this is true, we were reconciled through Christ to God and we were given the ministry of reconciliation. So who are we doing that with? We'll think about that as we, as we continue because we're, we are, this is just a wonderful passage. It's verse six, in this you rejoice. In this salvation that we have, we rejoice. Even though... All right, we ask the question, why are we still here? Because we have, we have hard times sometimes. Even though for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, life's not always easy, is it? I don't know what you're going through today, possibly even, or you've been through this past week, or maybe you have something you're coming up to in the coming week, but life isn't always easy. But there's even encouragement here in these trials that we face. Um, It says, for we're rejoicing in our salvation, even though for a little while, our trials don't last forever. Now, some are going to last longer than others. And some, maybe, maybe some will last until the day that we die. And even if that trial you're facing, you, you take it with you to your last breath, that's still a temporary trial because we have eternity to look forward with him. Most trials are for a few days, or for a few weeks, or months, or maybe a long one is for a year. Uh, But no matter what the trial is, it is just for a little while. There will be a day where there'll be no no more sorrow, no more tears, no more grief. It will be a wonderful time. But it also says here that these trials, are sometimes they are necessary trials. And we'll look here in a minute sometimes what these trials are used for. But it also says that they are various trials. Um, and when I think about trials, so the, the, when I think about, well, what, you know, what are these trials that we could be dealing with? And so, you know, my mind goes to, uh, well, maybe a sickness. We, you know, we, we pray each week for different ones that are dealing with sometimes very serious health issues. Um, it could be poverty. It could be uh, a loss of job. It could be um, maybe a loss of relationship, conflict at work, you know, the different things like this. But then I was thinking, well, various trials, some trials are different for different people. Some, some, some people, the biggest trial they will have maybe is the wealth. Maybe it's fame. Maybe it is prosperity. And that becomes a trial for somebody. But any situation that challenges our faith and gives us an opportunity to put our belief and trust in God, to actually live out what we say we believe, this, is, this could be a trial. So we talked about, Sarah mentioned we were camping this weekend, and it reminded me of uh, two, I think it was two years ago, we did the same camping trip uh, with Sarah and Court and I, and it's eight, 18 miles round trip. And two years ago when we started down the trail, about four miles in, I rolled my ankle. And uh, it was... Uh, it was definitely created a trial, at least for the next two days, right, or three days, whatever we were there for. So I thought, well, is that really a trial, though? Like, it was just a, just a, a twisted ankle, you know? It was better in a little while. You know, but is that really a trial? Because this here says that you have been grieved by various trials. And so I think, well, does a trial have to be, if, if we're not grieving, if we're not sorrowful, if we're not mourning over something, then is it really a trial? Does it need to be like an injury that would, 
lead to permanent disability or does it need to be a loss of life or does it need to be, um, you know, like a, a major thing to be a trial? But I think just this, this word various, is it means what it says. There's going to be varying degrees of trials. You know, maybe this afternoon you're leaving church and, and you've been encouraged from being here and you've got the Christian music going and somebody cuts you off. Is that a trial? Well, it <laughs> was the most emphatic response I got all morning. <laughs> Verse 7 says this, that these trials, whatever form they come in, however small they are, however big they are, they come, verse 7 says, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the rev- revelation of Jesus Christ. So the, the trials come so that the tested genuineness of our faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is why these, these trials that are being described in this passage come, to see what our faith is like. You know, when somebody cuts you off after when in, you're in the middle of a you know the praise song, maybe even singing, you know, like where is your faith? You know, is it is it really where even what you're singing at that moment? More seriously, though, when when you do lose the job or you are facing injury, how do we respond to these various trials that we experience? This verse says that God sometimes allow us to experience these trials to see what our faith is like. Now, it's not that he doesn't know, um, but it does say in, in this verse that it is to, to test your faith. Um, before, we, before we talk about the gold, I want to just mention, go back and look at one, ver- one word here in verse 6. You have been grieved by various trials. This word grieved, we kind of skipped over. We talked about, you know, I rolled my ankle. I wasn't upset. I wasn't grieving about that. Um, what does it mean here by, when it says that grieved by various trials? And sometimes our trials really are more serious. We're not being cut off in, in a traffic lane. We really are fear, uh, facing possibly a death of a family member or the loss of a job or some of, the, some of these significant life events. Um, and we see from Jesus' example how we can respond to some of these, really any trial, but particularly these more serious ones. Hebrews 5, verse 7 and 9 says this, In the days of his flesh, this is when Jesus was on earth, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. All right, that sounds like a grievous trial to me. Is it to you? So Jesus offered up prayers and supplications. He was facing a, a grievous trial, and he turned to the Father. He turned to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reference. Jesus was facing, uh, I believe this is referring to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was facing the greatest trial of his life. He was to uh, die on the cross for our sins the next day, and um, just moments perhaps before his arrest, and he turned to the Father in prayer. Matthew chapter 26 describes that particular moment. Jesus had with him Peter 
and the two sons of Zebedee. So Peter, who, who wrote this book that we're studying, was with Jesus, and Jesus began to be sorrowful and troubled. And they said to him, and he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And this is Jesus', is Jesus response to this, this trial that he's facing. Going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And I think this is a great prayer that we see in Jesus because, again, he is facing a difficult, perhaps the most difficult trial one could face, knowing that death was coming. And he, he turned to the Father. And what we see in this prayer is it's okay to let your request be made known to God. Philippians 4 talks about that. Jesus prayed, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Lord, I need a job. Please, would you give me a job? Lord, it, it is okay to present even our deepest requests to the Lord in prayer. This was Jesus' example. But also in Jesus' example, we see here at the end, but not my will, but yours be done. So in, the, in our request to the Father, we still qualify that. and we can, It is okay to say, God, this is what I think that I need. Lord, would you do this for me? But it is always with the understanding, Lord, I want your will to be done, not just what I want to be done, but what's your will to be done. We ask for that. And we see that and we know that Jesus made his request known, but then he put his faith in God for, for the outcome. Whatever outcome that God would have for him, he was willing to accept. All right, so these trials that we're facing, for the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire. Um, we know that, in, in, at least when this was written, uh, I don't know how they do it. They maybe have more advanced ways to do it today. But they would test the genuineness of gold by melting it down, and the impurities would rise to the surface. And depending on what the use for the gold was, you still want some impurities in the gold, and so they would, they would heat it up to see what was in there. And this verse says, just in the same way that you would heat up gold to see the quality of the gold, the, these trials are coming so that the quality of our faith is revealed. And like I said a minute ago, it's not that God needs to know what our faith is like. These are for our benefit so that we would see uh, what our faith is like. Now, I want to say, and we've, we've looked at, we looked at half a dozen verses here at the beginning of the service our salvation is not based on what we do. Our salvation is our belief in God. It is, through, it is by grace through faith. This is a gift from God. It's not things that we do that saves us. However, what we, it's not what we do that saves us. It's what we believe that saves us. However, what we do demonstrates what we believe. All right, let me say that again. What we do does not save us. What we believe saves us. However, how we live demonstrates what we believe. So this isn't for God's behalf that we have a trial. This is for our own behalf. So we can see and, and experience our response and evaluate, wow, Lord, this wasn't, you know, I, I responded angrily when I got cut off. Where was, the, where was the peace? Where was the patience? Where was the understanding? And, and we can make adjustments in our lives. 
James 2 verse 18 uh, puts it this way. Some will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. So again, it's not what we do that saves us, but what we do really demonstrates what we believe. So this verse, or these verses, sometimes for a little while, if necessary, we experience different trials. And this is done so that we have an understanding of what our faith is like. It allows us to make corrections, to make adjustments in how we're doing. But for those where faith is proved to be genuine, where our actions match what our words say, uh, we have this promise here at the end of verse 7. Um, the, well, I'll start at the beginning. The tested genuineness of your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We, we read in, in Matthew, and we long for that day where we're before God the Father, and he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Because we, when, when we think about uh, praise and glory and honor, we think about, well, yeah, our obedience provides praise and honor and glory to him. This verse says that we will share in it to a small degree, when we stand before him, if we have found to be faithful. He will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. And that, to me, that's an amazing thought that we will share in that, a minor degree. Praise and glory and honor, it's all going to be about him when we go to heaven. But at the same time, he will say to us, for those who have found to be faithful and they're in in the trials and their faith found to be genuine, well done, my good and faithful servant. Verse 8 says this, Though we have not seen him, excuse me, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Here's our response to our salvation. We don't see him, but we love him. We don't see him, but we believe in him. And we should rejoice with joy. I think this is interesting. I don't know if there's another spot in, in Scripture where you're, they're doubling up here on this rejoicing in the joy. Normally it says rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. This says rejoice with joy. There's this idea that it's so overwhelming, you're not just rejoicing, you're rejoicing with joy, like it's compounded. Just the joy of your salvation, we should rejoice in that. We should be thankful for that, which is why I think he starts this section in in chapter one, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is rejoicing with joy at all that God had done for him. Verse and finishing with verse nine, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. We begin our relationship with the Lord in faith. And as we live our life in faith, we will come to that day where we will see the salvation of our souls in its fullest sense, where we will have a new body, we will have our glorified body be in heaven with him. It is the future that we are hoping for. Verses 10, and tw- 10 through 12 kind of gives us a, just an interesting look, perhaps you could say, through the eyes of the Old Testament saints. It says, concerning this salvation, uh, this, this salvation that we've been talking about, we're a new creation, The Holy Spirit's within us. We're looking forward to that inheritance that we will receive. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be 
that was to be yours, this undeserved favor that was coming, searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. So they, they prophesied about the Messiah. They were waiting for this Redeemer. They never saw him come, though. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which the angels long for. So the Old Testament saints, they studied the scripture and they saw the, the coming Messiah. We study the scripture and we look back to Jesus' work on the cross for us, done already. We praise God because of what he's done for us. They were praising God for what God would do in the future. So we have this amazing blessing of salvation. The grace of God at work in our lives. We have this inheritance that we are looking forward to. Our future in heaven is secure. We have some bumps along the way. Not, it's not smooth sailing the whole way. But we have, God has done an amazing thing in making us a new creation. He's given us a purpose to live here on this earth. And we have this future to look forward to. So I guess this morning as, as we close, I have a, a couple questions for you. If you have accepted the Lord Jesus as your Savior, then we saw in 2 Corinthians 5.18 that you have been given, I have been given this ministry of reconciliation. And the question is, who are, we, who are we thinking about? We have this ministry in your life, you have the ministry of reconciliation. Who do you have in mind? Who can you reach out to this week or in the weeks ahead or in the months to come? And let them know about this great salvation we've been celebrating this morning. We have been given that ministry. It's hard, it's like, it, it's mind-blowing that God would use us, but that's why we're still here. That's why he didn't take us out of this place and just put us straight into heaven when he saved us. But maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're listening to all these things and you're thinking, I don't know if those things are mine. Maybe you're, you're, you're thinking, the wrath of God's still on me. I've never, I'm a sinner and I've never done anything about that. This morning, you could, you could, today could be the morning. We started the service by saying, think back to the day that you were saved. Today could be the day that you would look back on if a preacher ever asked you that you know, in years to come. Because salvation is for anyone who would believe. Understanding that they are a sinner, they've been separated from God, but they have the opportunity to come into relationship with Jesus by believing that he died on the cross for your sins. As we close this morning, that opportunity is for you this morning. And I think uh, Todd and Kelly are going to be praying this morning. Uh, they're going to be available anyways up front to pray with anyone who would want to talk. And we're, we're going to close in, in a word of prayer and, and sing a song. But that... Those are the two things to think about. Who do you have that you could be, take the initiative, maybe start this week to let them know about this grace of God that's available for those who would believe. And if you've never believed, then today's the day that I would challenge you and encourage you to take that first step. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross. Thank you as we read through this passage this morning, we just come to a better understanding of 
of uh, how much you loved us, how in your mercy you have withheld your wrath, and in your grace you have offered us this gift of salvation for those who would believe in faith that Jesus died on the cross for their sins. Lord, I pray if there's someone here this morning that has never done that, they would just simply just say, Lord, I recognize that I'm a sinner and that I'm in need of a Savior, and that they would uh, just believe that Jesus died on the cross for his sin, and in the same way that he rose from the dead, that one day we will rise and be with you in heaven. Lord, it's a, it's a day that we look forward to. It's a day that's not here yet, uh, but Lord, it is a sure thing for those who believe. And thank you for your word that teaches us that this morning. Uh, Lord, for each one of us, we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. Lord, would you put people in our minds um, as we get up in the morning, uh, who we would be able to minister to. Lord, as we just go through our day, we never know when we have the opportunity to share your love with somebody. Lord, would you keep us attentive to the opportunities you put in our path. Lord, we just thank you for your great love, for your great mercy, and your great grace in our lives. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.